Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So we begin first and foremost by praising and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All praise belongs to Allah from the angle that to Allah alone belong the attributes and qualities of complete perfection and beauty and kindness and awe and majesty. And we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also from the angle that from Him alone comes every blessing and good that we receive in our lives as individuals or as a collective. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Ma asabakum min in hasanatin min Allah. Whatever good comes to you, it's from God. So we praise Allah, we seek his aid and assistance and we seek his forgiveness. And we seek refuge or protection in Allah from the evil whisperings through our own souls and our own evil results and actions. Whomsoever Allah guides, none can misguide. But whomsoever Allah leaves astray, none can guide that person aright. And I bear witness and testify that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah alone, having no partner whatsoever. And I bear witness also that the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is Allah's final prophet and messenger. With that, uh, wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah to all of those, all, all of you are now beginning to give salams and uh, and logging on and joining in this uh, live stream for another episode of the Seekers and Sleepers podcast, where the ultimate, ultimate question for us at the moment is, are we seeking with the Seekers? or sleeping with the sleepers. And of course, seeking what? Seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, it's either that we are seeking Allah or we're in a state of sleep and slumber. We're in a state of sleep and slumber and we have yet to uh, awaken to our higher purpose in life. Sayyidina Ali radiyallahu son-in-law of the Prophet and the fourth caliph of the of Islam he said uh, he said Anas all of sorry all people are asleep Anasuniyam mankind are all asleep but when they wake or when they die, sorry, they awake, they awaken. When they die, they awaken to, uh, there is a Lord. There was a purpose of my life on earth. There is accountability. There is hellfire. There is paradise. So it is seeking with the sleeper, seeking with the seekers or sleeping with the sleepers. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he 
make us seekers seeking him uh, as the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said in in a, in a hadith in sahih bukhari kun fi dunya ka'annaka gharibun aw abiru sabil being as well as though you are a traveler or a stranger so this idea of traveling journeying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, we're going to, to discuss today part two of the, the Believer's Four Deadly Foes. And last week um, I did a kind of preamble, a kind of introduction uh, to some spiritual realities in Islam. Some things that the Qur'an and the Sunnah of our Prophet وسلم, uh, teach us about the importance of the heart and its journey to Allah. Uh, the obligations to do to do with the heart and that actually it's it is the heart uh, stroke the soul which is uh, the most important thing if the heart is sound the body is sound the limbs the eyes the ears the tongue if the heart is sound all those limbs will be sound if not then not uh, the prophet says in a hadith in sahih muslim it's, it's a fairly long hadith but uh, the end part goes, Inna fil jasadi mudra, Ida salahat, salah jasadu kulluhu wa Ida fasadat, fasada jasadu kulluhu ala wa yalqalb. There is a piece of flesh in the body. If this, if this piece of flesh be whole and sound, all of the body is whole and sound. But if this piece of flesh be diseased and corrupted, and all of the body is corrupted in like proportion. Indeed, that piece of flesh is the heart, the spiritual heart. And that is why the Quran says, That day when neither wealth nor children will benefit anyone except he who comes to Allah with a heart that is sound, a sound heart, a heart filled with la ilaha illallah, a heart filled with loving submission to Allah, a heart filled with uh, fulfilling Allah's commands and keeping away from his prohibitions, a heart filled with trying to do the recommendations the mustahabat or the sunnas and keeping away from the makruhat, the things which are disliked, detested or hated by Allah but aren't quite haram or prohibited. A heart filled with trying to detach the heart from the, uh, from the material world so it can be attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, in shukr, uh, gratitude, in uh, mahabba, in love in dhikr, in, in his remembrance. That is the heart that is sound. And a heart that doesn't have those things, or to the degree, the degree that the heart doesn't have it, is to the degree the heart is diseased and corrupted. There are amrad, there are diseases, illnesses in the heart that must be taken care of. And I've repeatedly said, and it's something that I know uh, most, if not all of the, those, uh, all of you are listening uh, and have joined in this stream, realize that 
this journey is not about uh, um, memorizing some verses or hadiths or writing it down and hopefully making a good talk out of it uh, for another date. Uh, this knowledge, which is essential to learn, much of what we've spoken about over the past few weeks is actually fardul ayn knowledge. It's um, it's knowledge which is uh, a personal obligation upon every Muslim to know. Much of what we've discussed is a personal obligation to know. It's that type of ilm or knowledge which uh, uh, seeking which is an obligation on every Muslim. It's not something that it's nice to know, but it's not a problem if we don't know. Actually, it is a problem. Uh, but this knowledge is uh, must be learned in order to act upon it. There must be a, a desire to want to act upon the knowledge so that uh, my goal is to please Allah. My goal is God. So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be pleased uh, with us. So last week we looked at a number of things that um, I won't recap here. Uh, but we began to uh, get closer to the idea of what are the four deadly foes of a believer. And I, and I mentioned them uh, towards the end of the stream last week, that the four things that pull us away from, uh, from journeying to Allah are dunya, worldliness, uh, shaitan, the devil, hawa, our whims and desires, and nafs, our ego or our lower bestial soul. So let me pick it up with the idea of, uh, and we touched upon this last week, uh, that this spiritual journey requires spiritual striving or struggle. It requires mujahada. وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَحْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا As the Quran says, those who strive in our way or those who strive in us, we shall guide them to our ways, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. And there is uh, an authentic hadith that we uh, I mentioned last week that echoes this verse. Al-Mujahid man jahada nafsuhu fi ta'atillah. The warrior in Allah's path is he who strives against his nafs, his ego, in obedience to God. And we got to that place where uh, we spoke about what is the essence of this spiritual struggling, this mujahada. It's reigning in the ego. It's keeping the devil at a distance. It's detachment from the dunya and it's uh, being wary, being aware and being heedful of when our whims and desires try to get the better of us. The essence of mujahida is against dunya, worldliness of the world, shaitan, the devil, nafs, one's ego and how are one's whims and desires. Allah subhanahu wa says in the Qur'an, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَّهَا النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْحَوَىٰ 
But for those who have feared the standing before their Lord, and restrained their soul's passion, then the garden is their abode. The garden is their abode. SubhanAllah. So just before we come on to these, uh, looking at these four deadly foes, three small points. The first that I've already touched upon briefly just now, ilm al-shari, sacred knowledge of Allah, Islam, the Prophet Sallallahu and his teachings is absolutely essential to know this path, to know the path to Allah. Without Sharia knowledge, we're just left with guesswork, our own whimsical opinions. We don't have proper guidance. Without Sharia knowledge, it's just whims, desires, guesswork, our own uh, flimsy thoughts and ideas. So Sharia knowledge is absolutely essential. And it's not just broad Sharia knowledge. Oh, in Islam, we should be kind. Oh, in Islam, we shouldn't do wrong. What does that mean? What is wrong? What is kindness? What is being unkind? Some things, some of these things are universal to any and every human being in human society. Who doesn't, what society doesn't think that uh, treating parents and elderly people uh, with uh, some level of compassion and concern uh, isn't a good thing? No, every society uh, and, and community think that. But Islam doesn't just come with broad ideas. The Quran doesn't come with just broad strokes. If it did, technically we might not need the Quran. If it's just coming with broad things, be nice to parents and elders. But it comes with details. They say, in English there's a saying, the devil is in the detail. But for Muslims, the divine is in the detail. <laughs> so, for example, the Quran will say, uh, do not say off to your parents. Who would who would know without Allah telling us? So actually, this is something displeasing to Allah that we uh, we just kind of rebuke our parents and uh, like that, just say uh, to them, even if they're wrong. We don't have to accept they're wrong. We don't have to accept uh, their wrongness. But the way we may differ with them is completely different than what many other traditions teach so my point being is we need solid and firm sharia knowledge not that type of knowledge where i have to study many many years to become some super scholar but i have to be an educated intelligent lay muslim i i may be a lay person from the muslims in that i'm not a scholar or a student of knowledge but I should be an educated, intelligent lay Muslim who, whose Islam is an intelligent Islam 
an informed Islam, a learned Islam. Otherwise, uh, we miss the point of uh, revelation. So the first, the first of the three quick things I want to mention is that Sharia knowledge is absolutely essential, and we learn it for no other reason than to the desire to act upon it in order to draw closer to Allah. The desire to act upon it, even if it's just a small thing, in order to draw closer to Allah. When our intention is to learn in order to act, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us, even by the small amount of knowledge we learn. But if our intention to learn is for other than acting and drawing closer to Allah, it's there to just help me deliver better talks, become a better and more popular da'i, quote unquote, to help me win arguments, to maybe uh, get the attention of people because not everybody knows religious, religious knowledge. And here I am uh, knowing religious knowledge, knowing that many Muslims will turn their attention to me. If it's for that reason, khalas, that knowledge is a hujjatun alayk. That knowledge is a proof against us. It's that. That's what that that type of intention. It does that to us on the day of judgment. May Allah protect us. So, first thing, serious knowledge of the path in order to act and draw close to Allah. Secondly, tawbah, repentance. When we start this path, and actually every time we stumble on the path, tawbah or repentance is required. Our scholars, those those scholars who dealt with matters of the heart, so we call them arbabul qulub, masters of the heart, or masters of the inward life. Al-Ghazali being one of the great ones uh, of this tradition, Ibn al-Qayyim, being another uh, great scholar of the inward life. Uh, as an example, Sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Jirani, being a master of uh, the inward life. These are just some of the, uh, a few of the names who are scholars and masters of the inward life. As far as Islam and uh, uh, sound knowledge is concerned. Then they tell us, whoever has no tawbah has no maqam. Whoever has no repentance has no spiritual station with Allah. So tawbah is absolutely essential. At the beginning of a path, it's a must. That a person says, you know, Ya Allah, I bow my head to you in shame that I as a Muslim have lived my days thus far in total neglect of you, praying only perhaps Jummah prayer or Eid prayer, indulging in haram with me, without making any attempt to keep away from it, being more aware of the characters on Netflix and my attachment to Netflix more than I'm attached to you and knowing your names and your qualities or the stories of your prophets or an attachment to your book. Ya Allah, 
I'm ashamed of that. I know that's not right. I want to do a U-turn from this ugly way. And I want to journey to you. It is a must that we make Toba. We repent to God. And in the act of repenting, returning to Allah, doing a U-turn away from such a such a reckless heedless life and make a turn to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and head in his direction in that dolba oh allah forgive me i repent to you cleanse me accept me in that dolba at that point there is divine love allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the quran Indeed, Allah loves those who constantly repent to him. Allah loves those who constantly repent to him. So the doors of Maqam al-Mahbubiyah, the station of being loved by Allah, is open to us with the doors of repentance with the doors of tawbah and whenever we stumble and sin whilst traveling this path then the prophet says in the sahih hadith all of the children of adam sin but the best of those who sin are those who repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the second point is after that this after the point of this path must be traversed with sound knowledge and sound intention, meaning I want to act upon my knowledge to draw closer to Allah. Then the second point is we need to start it with as clean a state as possible, with sincere tawbah. And when we slip, stumble and sin, we make that sincere tawbah again. And then, as I said, Allah SWT talks about the maqam wal mahbubiyah becoming beloved to him, the station of mahbubiyah being beloved to Allah because Allah loves those who regularly repent to him. And then the third and last thing before we move on to the main part of the talk of the of our discussion is the path has to be uh, we can't do things willy-nilly what I think is good what I think are priorities. I have to move my eye aside, park it over there somewhere. And I have to know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love to be drawn closer to except by following the way of his Prophet No, in fact, actually that's an understatement. Allah will not accept 
deeds that we do or acts that we do uh, intended to draw close to him, except if they are in conformity and agree to what the Prophet taught us. And when our journey to Allah is by following the footsteps and the teachings of the Prophet then again, it's a level of maqamul mahboobiyah. It is the station of divine love. Why? Because Allah says in his book, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهُ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمُ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Say, if you do love Allah, so Allah is asking the Prophet asking to say to the audience, say, if you do love Allah, follow me. And Allah will love you, forgive you your sins. Allah is most forgiving, most merciful. In kuntum tuhibbun Allah, if you do truly love Allah, fattabi'uni, follow me, yuhbibkum Allah, Allah will love you. So this path of seeking divine love, seeking to love Allah and be loved by him is not mere talk is not mere claims it is seriously rolling up our sleeves and doing the deeds of love doing the deeds of love and I don't speak to you as someone who is yes I've reached it and let me tell you by looking, no, we are travellers together. We, we aspire to journey to Allah together. That's why Allah allows us to meet uh, uh, every weekend for this purpose via this show. Not because I'm worthy of it, not because we're worthy of it, but Allah in his grace chooses people to remind them of their higher purpose in their life and so when Allah opens a door for us it's not good that we turn our backs on it or shut it after it's been opened so with that being said let's briefly run over the four deadly foes. So the Quran will tell us that there are four main things. Sometimes people have made them into three, but I'll, 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 I'll speak of them as four. That pull a person away from Allah and journey to him. So in other words, someone says, right, okay, I want to change my life. I want to get serious about God. And serious about God is not by watching many, many videos on YouTube and mashallah. I've done 120 videos today or in the week or in the month. But really, actually, a whole month has gone by and my life hasn't changed an iota. 
I haven't increased in my sajda, in my prostration to God. I'm still not quite quite clear how to make wudu or not. I'm still not quite clear what the Prophet's guidance was with respect to parents or with respect to my spouse, my wife, or my husband, as the case may be. I, I talk a lot about Islam and I hear lots about Islam. Even that. Even that. If someone thinks the internet is a place of serious knowledge, I'm not saying that there aren't serious things on the internet and beneficial things, absolutely true. But subhanAllah, to find honey or sweet water amidst, a load, uh, amidst loads and loads and loads of gallons of urine and filth, that's the internet for you. That's the internet for you. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it is a small source of religious knowledge. The bigger source being the ulama directly, scholars directly, face to face, ideally. I mean, I know we're in COVID, and scholarly books. And today, I want us to try our best where we can, because it's not always going to be possible, to get rid of this, like a bit of a bid'ah. I, I don't mean this literally. Though. But a bit of a bid'ah. What is the bid'ah? Oh, the knowledge of all brothers said. The knowledge of all sisters said. What does that mean? Either someone is qualified to speak about Islam or not. And I'm not talking about basics. My neighbor, my non-Muslim neighbor asked me how many times do Muslims pray? I don't need to say, hold on a minute, let me go to a scholar. Every Muslim knows that. Many non-Muslims know this five times a day. Some person on the street asks me, asks me, um, are Muslims allowed to eat pork? I don't say, oh, wait a minute, let me just uh, dial a fatwa. Every Muslim knows this, and many non-Muslims know it, that no, it's forbidden to eat pork. So there are basic things that every Muslim should know about our religion. And in fact, if non-Muslims live close enough to Muslims, they too end up knowing about those basic, many of those basic things. I'm not talking about things like that. I'm talking in slightly more detail. Uh, you know, mashallah, so Adam Adam or Adam Adam uh, and others before uh, have mentioned, and, and in previous streams as well, uh, and, and may Allah bless you um, for thinking well of me, that there needs to be more streams like this, more shows like this. Um, there need to be more shows, no doubt at all, with, you know, the righteous scholars and spiritual masters of Islam, really, they, they do, there needs to be. But perhaps I, perhaps I can make a, a suggestion and perhaps even an assertion. Is it possible that there are enough shows and talks and streams and books and lectures and khutbas by the real scholars but it's just that you and I choose to go with second-rate stuff. I mean, when I say you and I, I don't mean yourselves directly. I'm talking about as a whole. The scholars aren't saying, do not listen to me, don't learn from me. They're kind of just sitting there and thinking, what's going on? 
but it's you and I that we want. We want the stuff that buzzes, exciting, controversy, cancel culture. But when Allah allows the heart to seriously know Him, then Allah also helps us. Allah also helps us to see uh, the wheat from the chaff, the real deal from the fake stuff, or at least in general. Uh, so the four deadly foes. The first one is dunya, worldliness. We're not talking about the world when it becomes a means to remembering Allah and being in awe of him. Uh, and thanking him, the trees, the streams, the oceans, the rivers, the flowers, the, the, you know, just the beauty of the earth itself. We're not, we, I, um, that's not what is meant by dunya. Dunya is just normally the material life, worldliness per se. Some people quote this next saying as a hadith, but it's it's actually not a uh, it's not a sound hadith. In fact, it's a it's either a very very weak hadith or a fabricated hadith. But it says, "Hubbu dunya ra'sukulli khatiya." Hubbu dunya ra'sukulli khatiya. That love of this world is the head of every evil. And I quote it because the meaning is sound. That shaitan has less ability to trick us and the nafs has less ability to dominate us if we're not so much attached to any creative thing, especially the world, the dunya. And we are our hearts are attached and to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now there are many verses in the Quran, I mean many, that speak that talk about the dunya, that censure the world. So I'll just uh, pick on one in Surah Al Ankabut, the 29th chapter of the Quran, uh, verse 64. In the dar al akhirata lahil hayawanu, no canu Allah says, and let's, let's try to pay heed to this and, and try to try to let it let these words uh, filter into our souls. Wana hadihil hayati dunya, hayat of dunya. What is the life of this world? except play and distraction. What is the life of this world except play and distraction? But the home of the hereafter But the home of the hereafter that is true life. If only they knew. If only we knew how short this world was. 
and how eternal the hereafter is. If we only knew how little Allah values this world and how much he has prepared for, for believers in the afterlife. If only we knew that all of this shouting, fighting, clamoring and chasing after the dunya is chasing after mirage, a mirage because it doesn't last, it's fleeting. No sooner do we grasp something than it just slips like grains of sand from the hand. But the hereafter is the real. It's not that this dunya is a mirage, it's here, you know, you know it's real, all right, in that sense. But it's not real from the point of view of permanency. It's just temporary, it's just ephemeral. Eternal is the life to come. What is the life of this world but play and amusement? And even us Muslims, we have a funny uh, relationship. It's like, but well, if I have, I will try to make a little time for God, but otherwise, it's play and amusement. Instead of doing what the believer should do, which is the life and the time I have on it is serious stuff, but I need time. I need portions of time to, to for ease. Where I, where I take my foot off the gas, off the accelerator, and slow down in more of a relaxing mood. Otherwise, the foot is on the accelerator. It's serious stuff. And then we just need some time now and again for just recuperating. No, we've turned it on our heads. The modern world, uh, the modern work play arena has turned everything on its head. So now it's a matter of even religious knowledge. If it's not done in, a, in an amusing, entertaining way, I'm not really interested. And the scholar, bottom line, bottom dollar, the scholar, he or she needs to be a bit funny, right? I mean, they have to do a bit of live at the Apollo, or they must have, you know, the scholar is the one who does stand up comedy the stand-up comedy circuit then we'll accept him as a scholar because otherwise we use that phrase and it's a devil's phrase oh they're unreachable and it is absolutely true i i don't deny that some scholars are unreachable in the sense that uh, they're that type of person that they do their heads are so much in knowledge and teaching that that maybe maybe their social skills uh, need a bit of improving here and there and no doubt you have scholars like that. Now, alhamdulillah, if, if they're that type of people that are unapproachable, that's a bit unfortunate, but we can accept it because, inshallah, as long as they're approachable. Okay, but approachable doesn't mean that they should be a laugh. Scholarship is not meant to drag us down to just the average level. It's meant to elevate us up to something of the the beauty the sub, sublimity and the seriousness of the prophet sunnah and life alayhi salatu 
But if we're still looking for entertaining scholars, yeah, he's just like one of us. We came to the knowledge with the with with a perverted heart, and that scholar is probably not a scholar. Probably not. I mean, I can't say for sure. So the scholar doesn't have to be all serious, because if you look at the Sahaba and themselves, they were a different nature. They were serious ones. So kind of, you know, the what we know about Omar Anhu, probably not a person to mess around with, nor joke too much in front of, not without getting the stick. But one feels that Sayyidina Abu Bakr probably was a bit more easygoing in his temperament and nature. Sayyidina Uthman Anhu, maybe a bit more like Abu Bakr, uh, Sayyidina Ali Radhanhu, maybe in between, or maybe a bit more like Umar Radhan, who knows? So many different people with different characters. And the prophets, think of Musa alayhi salam. It's kind of the messages don't mess. Think of Isa alayhi salam. Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. Someone who had a more Jamali character, a more approachable character. Musa alayhi salam's character is Jalali. It's very august. Uh, it has a kind of st a sternness to it, and a majestic sternness. Human beings are of different types and shades. Our scholars are like that. So dunya. Um, one or two things about this dunya. Um, actually, no, I'll leave this, this uh, the, the bit about the dunya, except maybe just to say one or two, uh, one or two uh, things that may occur in a, in a hadith in Charlatan. So the Prophet says in a, in a Sahih or a sound hadith concerning, uh, concerning the dunya, he said, he said, uh, the world, Adunya sijnul mu'min wa jannatul kafir. The world is a prison for the believer and a paradise for the unbeliever. Meaning that because there are prohibitions and restrictions and restraints put on a believer by Allah and by his sharia, then in that sense, it's likened to a prison. There are boundaries that we can't step out of. And of course, uh, it goes without saying that the Sharia is there for our welfare in this life and hereafter. Allah hasn't just made some things haram because like uh, I'm a master in the olden days, here is a master, he, has, he or she has a slave. And the master says to the slave, Oh, hop on one leg for me, just to just to show who's the boss. Hop on one leg. There's no a slave doing that is not going to be benefit by hopping on one leg. No, Allah is not a master in that sense, and where His slaves, Allah doesn't ask us to hop on one leg to do something that is of no benefit to us. Whatever Allah commands us to do and prohibits us not to do, it's actually beneficial to us, and Allah doesn't need anything from anyone. Allah needs nothing from any of us. So there are some restraints. And the Sharia tells us 
the things that we ought to be doing and the things that we must not do. So the first point in this journey is we guard against the world in terms of not getting into anything haram and making sure that we fulfill our obligations and not get too sucked in to the dunya. That's the basic level. This is nothing exceptional. This is just basic Islam 101, practice 101. We can't be so attached to the dunya that we forget to fulfill an obligation or we get tempted into doing something haram. That in itself will be totally prohibited for us to do. And that would be a clear example, that Allah protect us, of falling prey to the dunya. So in this consumer-driven consumer life, we need to see how much our hearts are being enslaved to the world, worldliness, materialism, consumer culture, and how much is it free to attach itself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The world will be a master, the world will be a slave driver to anyone who chooses to be enslaved by it, but we are Ibadullah, slaves of God. The rest of the uh, four foes, they kind of work on this attachment to the world that we have, this attachment to dunya. Uh, my last hadith before we move on from the dunya, and perhaps inshallah we might round it off today and then do a part three with the other three and uh, leave some time for question and answers today maybe. Yeah, let's, let's probably do that inshallah. So let me end with about the dunya simply by saying that in an authentic hadith uh, in the Sunnah of Tirmidhi, let me see if I can find the Arabic, if not, it's not a big problem. The, we read that the Prophet says, can find it. Okay, no. The Prophet says, the world and whatever in it is cursed, except for the remembrance of Allah and that which he loves, and a scholar and a seeker. And a scholar and a seeker of knowledge. The world and whatever is in it is cursed. Allah pays no attention to the material world. The material world is there to serve us in our higher purpose, which is to thank Allah and worship him. So the world was created for our convenience and benefit that we may indeed partake of it, enjoy it, but only as a means of thanking Allah and worshiping, worshiping him and drawing close. If the world is enjoyed without this connection to Allah, then it is accursed. Then it is cursed. The world and whatever in it, our Prophet said, and he never and he never speaks untruth. The world and whatever is in it is cursed, 
accept the remembrance of Allah and what he loves and a student and a scholar, meaning anything that connects us to Allah from the material world is an exemption, exempted from that cursedness. So look at us. We, we as a Muslim family, we can have peace and harmony, Then, and I'm just giving this as an example, and then the father dies, and there you have it. Blood brothers and sisters are literally fighting, physically fighting, and ready to lie, and ready to cheat on each other because of inheritance. I can't pray my prayers on time because I'm too interested in the football, uh, in in the movie, in the uh, in the next Netflix series. Subhanallah, I could be watching. <laughs> I could be watching. Someone told me this. It, it, it happened to someone they knew. They were watching. Um, what's it called? Ertegol. Ertegol. Movie series. And you know, Ertegol has got this is major Islamic theme. And they were missing their prayers. They were just doing a binge watch of Ertegol. Wow, you can even watch something Islamic and not have the Islamic actions. Uh, we're too busy with material stuff, with not to even have time to watch our religion, uh, to learn our religion. Yeah, I, I'm sure you understand what I'm trying to come uh, get across, may Allah protect us. It is a challenge. It's not easy. It's, it is a challenge. And there is, we have some material and worldly responsibilities, must all out and for all, absolutely, we do have some rights and obligations and responsibilities to fulfill in the material world, undoubtedly. But as part of journeying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's all about God. That's the, that's the bottom line. When Allah tells us to say Allahu Akbar, God is greater. So the word is not Allah Kabir. Okay. Uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's in the superlative. Okay. It's in, it's Kabir, something which is more than, uh, it, 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 sorry, it's Akbar, it's more than Kabir. Okay. Allah is great. That's Allah Kabir. Allah Akbar. Allah is greater. Greater than what? Greater than anything. So we sometimes translate it as Allah is greatest. This is fine, Muhammad, as long as we know what it means. Greatest as in greater than anything. What if that is the case in the reality, and it is indeed the reality? Then the end goal must be God. Our end goal must be Allah. Our end goal must be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If our end goal isn't Allah Jalla Jalalahu, then either we've made a culture out of our religion, religion is just, I'm a Muslim just in the cultural sense, or we've 
were reading Islam with the wrong dictionary. But Allah will guide anyone who sincerely raises their hands and their hearts to him and say, Ya Allah, teach me because I am so lost. Um, so we did the first of the four foes um, next week, part three. Uh, we'll try to complete the. I'll try to complete the, the last three. So that's for the last five, five, seven minutes, ten minutes maybe max. Uh, if there's any questions in China, so let me start with a question that was there last week. Someone wrote right towards the end of the live stream. Uh, how do we know when our prayers are accepted? Uh, in one sense, we don't know when our prayers are accepted, just like when we don't know, just like we don't know when our fasting or our hajj or our charity is accepted. We hope that, providing we're trying to do our best and fear Allah as much as we can. We hope and we we hope and we believe that Allah Karim, most generous, most kind, will accept the little that we offer Him and reward it abundantly. We hope in Allah's generosity that He accepts our prayers and our good deeds, and that's what we ask. Rabbana taqabbal, taqabbal. رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ سَلَاتَنَا وَقِيَامَنَا وَتِلَاوَتَنَا كَذَا وَكَذَا Allah accept our prayer, our fasting, our recitation, our good deeds, accept us. Um, but it's not like, well, then, you know, in a few minutes we get an email, a confirmation via email or, 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 you know, a WhatsApp text that, yes, I've accepted your, your good deed. It's, it's not quite like that. So there is always that hope and expectation but on the other hand, there is always that fear and concern, and concern that I wasn't sincere enough. I didn't really purely do it for Allah. Or and did I do a deed that he was pleased with? Or did I do the pleasing deed in a way that he taught? So it's a bit on balance. We hope in Allah's mercy, but we fear that the deed won't be accepted because of the deficiency in in us, not that somehow Allah is stingy. Now, all the that, of course not. <coughs> so we're never about our personal souls. We are never sure a hundred percent, which is why we try to perfect our worship as much as we can, and ask Allah sincerely and humbly that, Oh Allah, forgive us the shortcomings that I know was in the deed that I did. It would be not a brave person, but a very foolish and arrogant person who says that, oh Allah, I know I did the deed purely for you, so just give me my reward whenever you're ready. SubhanAllah. We, we, uh, we sometimes have this saying, oh yeah, yeah, I got married for the sake of Allah. Really? Allah. And where is the halo on your head? Maybe they did, but it's a big claim. It's a big maqam to state 
it's a big claim to make and a big station to be at to do something sincerely for the sake of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ was one day reciting a verse from the Qur'an in which he said, which it talks about believers who are doing righteous deeds and their skins, and the verse ends, and their skins tremble due to the fear of their Lord. So the lady Aisha radiallahu anha asked the Prophet ﷺ, she asked her husband ﷺ, O Messenger of Allah, do they fear, do their skins tremble in fear? because they are those Muslims who steal and who cheat and who do all these other things. <coughs> the Prophet said, no, O Aish, rather they are the ones who pray and they fast, but they don't know if their deeds are going to be accepted by Allah because of some deficiency that they have. The lady Aisha anha and it is reported as well that Omar Radiallahu said something similar, but it comes to my mind it's the lady Aisha anha When she was on her deathbed, she wept and said, Oh, that I were a blade of grass that would not be held to account. <coughs> Here is not just the wife of the Prophet she is one of the highest women of paradise. Oh, that I was obeyed, of course. So, we hope that our prayers will be accepted, but we fear because of the deficiencies that it won't. So, we ask Allah to forgive us our shortcomings and that He accepts the best of what we've done along with trying to improve our prayer and our excellence in how we worship by the last one. Any other questions? What are the books that you Muslims should read after the Quran? That's a good question. Um, I mean there are a lot of there are a lot of books out there. So I'm just turning to see there was a book that on my shelf. Okay, maybe it's downstairs. No, actually, it's here. So this is one of many. So when I sit, I'm recommending this book, but it doesn't mean it's the only book out there. And um, this book, uh, being Muslim, a practical guide <coughs> by Ustad um, Asad uh, Tarsin. It's a really good book, inshallah ta'ala. Um, I don't know if someone could take a screenshot by Sandler, uh, published by Sandler, yeah, coming out of Zaytuna. It's a really good book for, I mean, not just for uh, for, uh, for new Muslims, for converts. It's a good book for uh, people who are born into Muslim families as well. Okay. Uh, and it goes through uh, a very broad thing uh, of, uh, what it means to be a Muslim, including uh, the seer of the process and including spiritual matters, including basic fiqh, basic rules of wudu, basic rules of prayer, basic, basic rules of fasting, basic halal and harams in daily life. And it's written by someone who's in the West, a scholar in the West. So that's a good book. Books like this are, are, are very good because they give us a good grounding. 
a good grounding. Uh, if we're going to, uh, what if we attach ourselves to, say, after Quran and a good translation of the Quran, whilst we don't know Arabic, <coughs> um, if we then attach ourselves to some simple hadith books, uh, then of course Imam Nawawi's 40 hadith, that it's 40 hadith without any comments or commentary, that's good. Um, there are short, there are translations of hadith books with small scholarly commentaries. One of them I would recommend <coughs> is a book called, uh, I think it's called Zad al-Talibin, I'm, I'm thinking what it's called in English. Provisions, or I think it's called Provisions of the Seeker by, uh, by White Thread Press. The publishers are White Thread Press. It's called Provisions of the Seeker or the Seekers. And all it is is a collection of a few hundred hadith with short scholarly uh, points and commentary uh, beneath each hadith. Uh, um, and another good book to have on our shelves is Riyadh Salihin by Imam Nawawi. Riyadh Salihin is one of those books that should be on the shelf of the scholar and the student and the lay Muslim alike. It's beneficial and it was written for that purpose, for scholars and students and your the general public amongst the Muslims. Um, so those are amongst the books that I would recommend. Riyadh Salihin of Imam Nawawi and his 40 hadith um, uh, a good book to get the, the the basics of islam cemented is being muslim um, it's important at some early point in my islam and my uh, converting to islam that i should know my fiqh my rules of wudu purification my rules of praying and maybe when ramadan comes up in a few months i should you know a month before i should kind of be you know, uh, clued up on the basic, you know, five, seven, eight rules to do with Ramadan. As regards to the rest, uh, you know, Hajj, pilgrimage, uh, can deal with that closer to the time when I intend to do pilgrimage. Um, zakat might have to be learnt as well if I have surplus wealth, and I've had that for more than one Islamic year, then I'd have to be giving zakat, the wealth tax on that. Um, but they're, they're good books. There are there are many other books um, uh, that I could suggest, but I, I think that will do for the time being, inshallah. Ta Unless, of course, I I totally missed the point of the question. So um, forgive me if I have any final questions. Question: Can't the internet be used as a medium for good, or is it a place of too many problems concerning dawah? As I mentioned, uh, one dean, that yes, it contains good, no doubt. Uh, we're on, we're on the internet right now. This is being streamed on on the internet. Uh, there are many, many fantastic things, lessons of scholars and seasoned students of knowledge on the internet. But along with the good, there's a load of rubbish and there's a load of misguidance and there's a load of, load of if, maybe, maybe not. And what tends to happen is if we're not guided and advise properly what what thing to take off of the shelf. Then we have on the shelf, you know, the supermarket shelf, you know, a thousand and one cereals. Now, unless I have an idea of, you know, of the, the, the benefit of that cereal or that cereal or that cereal, it's just like, well, let me just 
you know, blindly pick something and it might be full of sugar and carcinogenics and not healthy for me. But hey, you know, I didn't know. I just saw a hundred different cereals on the shelf and, you know, how am I supposed to work out? Well, then I just picked one up. So that's always the danger. That's one point. The other point is in Islam, so this is not a fatwa, this is just something for us to think about. I have no solution. The internet is uh, in some form or fashion here to stay. We are not Luddites, we are not anti-technology. However, we don't also believe in this myth that technology is neutral. If a lot of money has been invested in any piece of tech, it will always be slanted towards somehow benefiting the people who put the money into it first place. Uh, you know, and you and I know this now in, in, in a social media age of the last seven, five, seven, ten years, you know, social media experts, those who used to work with, the, with for the big giants, uh, Facebook and, you know, Twitter and all these are telling us that actually we don't allow our kids to use um, social media. Why? Because we wrote the algorithms for it to be, we didn't know some of them are saying we didn't know the consequences of how it would work out you know five ten years later but we wrote the algorithm so that it would entice us and it would activate uh certain uh, pleasure hormones in our brain and our body it, it is written in such a way so uh we know that in islam for something to be halal, the benefits must outweigh its harm. We don't, we shouldn't have this attitude that, oh, but it's got some good in it. So I'm now not talking about the internet per se, I'm just talking about generally some, I'm given a, 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 a very broad outline of usul al-fiqh, Islamic legal theory. In Islamic legal theory and in fiqh and sharia, mainly because something is good doesn't make it halal. So the Quran says about drinking and gambling, about drinking wine and gambling, the Quran says in it there is good and there is harm and the harms outweigh the good. Hence, gambling and wine drinking are forbidden, are haram, because the harm outweighs the good. Allah himself said, it has benefit and harm. So we're not looking for something that is beneficial. We're trying to assess, is the benefit greater than the harm or vice versa? For every one person who finds their way to some decent knowledge-based stream that helps them uh, learn about Allah and become close to Allah, for every one person that does that, is it one person that does the opposite? Or is it 10? Well, let's stick with just the Muslims at the moment. Is it 100? Is it 1,000? Is it for every one person who finds a stream such as this or whatever else uh, other streams like Newcastle FM, Fast FM have, um, are streaming throughout the week, mashallah? or other places, other, other stream, streamers and providers of Muslim content, Islamic content, sorry. And 
for every one person that finds their way to such a stream, the one person goes onto a porn site. Or is it 10 persons on, on that site? Or 100, or 1,000, or 10,000? You tell me. So, um, one exercises great care and cautiousness of who one opens their hearts and their ears to, whether uh, on the internet or, or other than that. The internet is here to stay. There is, if we can find the right content, it is incredibly beneficial for a number of reasons. The minimum of which is that uh, for a lazy person like me who can't get out, can't be bothered to go out and travel, I mean, this is, you know, let's say in the absence of COVID, I can at least watch something on, online on the screen. For a busy, uh, for a busy mother or a busy father that, you know, juggling 110 things, uh, maybe they can 20, 25 minutes to remember Allah through a stream, a video, um, something on YouTube, no doubt at all. There is benefit. I, I don't deny that. It's just the, the dangers. And also, as someone pointed out, how comes when you have these people who aren't even seasoned students of knowledge, let alone scholars, and, you know, and, and they're kind of, you know, they just... <laughs> They're not, they, they, they haven't quite learned how to shepherd, uh, shepherd people. And they're very ferocious with their tongues, condemning everyone with all sorts of insults and labels. How is it that um, maybe someone like, someone like them get thousands and tens of thousands of hits? And some of our ulama scholars and spiritual masters who are actually online get like a hundred or thirty or twenty-five. Of course, one can say Allah places His blessings wherever, but one can also know that the devil probably has a social media account as well and uh, sending out the waves of his whisperings to like some things and to avoid some things or totally miss it. Who knows? Who knows? Shaitan at gmail.com. I don't know. Um, shall we begin to round it up? It's been just over an hour. May uh, last month, and I bless you. Uh, forgive us all. Bless me and you. Uh, also, um, please put in a, a kind of hour for all the brothers and sisters who work behind the scenes uh, on the uh, on the uh, streaming um, platform, Newcastle Fast FM. May I not give them the toll feet to, to continue in their good work and accept it from them and to uh, continue helping us uh, benefit. Uh, with that being said, Jazakumul uh, Khayyan to you all. It is a pleasure meeting you every Saturday night. Um, we will leave with our standard question which is a question that I pose to myself and yourself. Are we seeking with the seekers or sleeping with the sleepers? That is the ultimate question for us today. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.